May these words of my mouth and this meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Many years ago, I attended a large women's Bible study that met weekly. Our final day together, every small discussion group would gather for a day of sharing what we had learned that year. In the midst of a huge sanctuary, surrounded by hundreds of women, Clara stood up. Clara was about 85. She was a tiny little thing, large group, that she had been reading the Bible cover to cover every year since she had turned 18. As she hoisted her enormous, worn, dog-eared Bible into the air above her head, she said, after reading this faithfully every year, I have just one question. Who keeps changing it? And that's part of the allure of the Bible, isn't it? It's a living document, evolving with us, with our experiences and our understanding. As our life circumstances change, different aspects of its message speak to us in different ways. We come to the stories each time reading through a different lens. Often, that lens is our most recent experience. We are attuned to different nuances in the text. I had a Clara moment when I read the gospel lesson for this morning. This story from Matthew is very familiar to many of us. It appears in almost every book of children's Bible stories. It's usually accompanied by great sound effect words for the roaring wind and the crashing waves. The story is contributed to our colloquial language. We speak of individuals who can do no wrong or seem to live a charmed life as walking on water. John Ortberg, the evangelical pastor and author from California, had a bestseller in the early 2000s with his take on this story. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. I have a secret to share with you, my new parish family. I'm new here, so uh, bear with me. I've never really liked this story. It's always bothered me. And I've never been quite able to figure out why. So encountering this story at this time, in this place, I had a Clara moment. I now get why it has not resonated with me before, at least not in the way it's commonly related. So I'm going to ask that you bear with me while I unpack what's been bothering me and gnawing at me with the usual interpretations. See if you agree. You see, Ortberg in his bestseller, and in many sermons that we have heard on this text, have focused on Peter. First on his bravery, 
or foolhardiness, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference, then on his lack of trust. Ortberg's book peddles in a brand of Bible as self-help theology. How can you get ahead by trusting more in God? What can Jesus do for you? It smacks of prosperity gospel. If you pray hard enough, trust hard enough, live well enough, you will be blessed and even favored. Is your little Episcopal self out there cringing at these words? Yes, it is. But isn't that what Peter is modeling here? Isn't that what he's doing? He leaves behind all of his friends. He takes it upon himself to actually challenge Jesus. You may not have heard, but Bonnie read in the gospel lesson, Peter said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Sounds a lot like the challenges that Satan makes and puts before Jesus in the wilderness. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Really, Peter, testing Jesus. Of course, what we miss in the written word is tone. Like email and texting today, there can be wildly different meanings based on tone. And we miss that nuance here because we don't have any biblical emojis to help decipher the tone for us. When Jesus answers him, come, is it said with a laugh, with a sigh, with frustration or exasperation in Jesus' voice? We don't know. But what we do know is that the text tells us that Peter sinks. And yes, Jesus reaches down and pulls him up. But we also know from the text that Jesus does not encourage everyone else in the boat to get out and try water walking. And when Jesus says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I'm not sure that he's referring to the fact that Peter didn't trust Jesus enough to believe that he too could walk on water. I think maybe Jesus is asking why Peter challenged his identity as the Son of God. Why, after all of this time together, does Peter doubt who Jesus is? I don't think, as Ortberg and others would suggest, that this passage is about all that we personally can accomplish if only we trust more, step out more, fear less. Of course, those are good things. And of course, keeping our eyes on Jesus is a good thing. But I'm not sure that I buy that being the main message we're supposed to take away. Don't get me wrong, I appreciate Peter. I'm grateful for the reminder that if Jesus can love a flawed man like Peter, the rest of us stand a chance. But my Clara moment was really about noticing 
for the very first time, the disciples who stayed in the boat. Could it be that sometimes staying right where we are in the midst of chaos and uncertainty is the bravest, most faithful, most trusting thing we can do? Staying the course, focusing on our life together in community, weathering the storms with each other, that is the most counter-cultural and Jesus-trusting thing we can do. We could easily see Peter as exemplifying the American ideal of individualism. I am going to act on my own behalf. I am going to take care of myself, and I am going to see what I can get out of this opportunity. Yet the others stay in the boat together as Jesus asked them to do, trusting that Jesus will come and meet them where they are. Diedrich Bonhoeffer asserts that we see Jesus most clearly in the face of another when we engage in life together. It can be hard to see the face of Jesus when we are acting on our own. Just a few chapters before this story in Matthew 8, we find the disciples in another boat, in another terrifying storm. And if you recall, Jesus is asleep in that boat and is awakened by his frightened disciples. He tells them then, as he tells them now, not to be afraid. As he does then, he does now, he calms the storm. The big difference is at the end of those verses in Matthew 8, the disciples wonder aloud, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Fast forward to our lesson this morning in chapter 14. After time spent with Jesus in community, After seeing him perform miracles of healing and feeding throngs, after hearing his teaching, after sharing meals, laughter, tears, time together in community, this storm-calming story ends with the disciples declaring, truly, you are the Son of God. The disciples have stayed together. They have their identity, their faith, their shared experience in community to give them the strength to weather the storm. I'm not trying to be dramatic, and I really don't think it's a stretch, but it is through the lens of my month here with you all at St. John's that I see this story anew, that I had my Clara moment. It is looking out at you, meeting you in the hallways, having phone conversations, being here now with this wonderful, faith-filled community that is St. John's at so many of you who have stayed in community through several years of ups, downs, changes, welcomes, 
farewells and not an insignificant level of uncertainty. It is my time here with you this past month that finally gave me the insight as to why the usual interpretation of the story bothers me so much. For it is as a community that we weather the storms of this life and find our strength. And we do that for storms as close as St. John's, as close as Denver, and as far away as Charlottesville. We get our strength from community to do God's work. We gain our strength from sticking together. You see, the disciples in the boat, the ones who trusted enough to stay put, are the ones who created the template for life and community for all subsequent followers of Christ, for you, for me, for all of us. As we read in Acts, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. These four elements are the basis of Christian community. That is trust. Trust in one another and trust in Jesus. That is believing that Jesus will show up. And when he does, we will recognize him. We will recognize him and see him for who he is and how he works in our lives and community. And we too will declare, truly, you are the Son of God.